May the grace and peace of God our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. On the day of his baptism, Dave was welcomed into faith and given new life with the Lord and clothed with a garment of salvation. This was symbolized by a white garment. We now ask Hannah and Alana to place a white garment on Dave to symbolize his new life with God. You may be seated. We welcome you to this celebration for Dave Semenko. We begin by offering our condolences to his father, John, to his sons, Jason and Roberta and Kelly and Carla, to his daughter, Hannah and mother, Alana, to his brothers, Brian and his wife, Rhonda, Brad and Brenda and Mark, and the rest of the family that is gathered here this afternoon. Also to his many hockey companions over the years, and you, his friends and fans. I'm honored to have been asked to celebrate this tribute to Dave. I certainly hope I don't mess anything up. I know that God will forgive me, but I'm not too sure Don Metz will. <laughs> and throughout the ceremony, remember, Dave always liked to smile and laugh. So let us uh, pause for a moment of quiet prayer 
for ourselves. Almighty and faithful Creator, all things of your making, all people are shaped in your image. We now entrust Dave to your loving care and goodness. In your infinite wisdom and power, working in him through your merciful purpose, known to you alone from the beginning of the time, console the hearts of those who love him in the hope that we too will find peace and rest in your kingdom. Amen. We're now going to ask his daughter, Hannah, to remember her father. Our father, as most of you know him, is an enforcer, a protector, and he was. He protected his family, my brothers, he protected my mother, and he protected me. Maybe sometimes he took that to the extreme. I don't think I was allowed to make my own pot of coffee until I was at least 20 years old. <laughs> One particular event, though, does come to mind. The week after I found out my dad was sick, we had a movie night. I brought over some jello that he asked me to make for him. We ordered in some pasta and watched the Patriot Games. When it was time for me to leave around 10.30 p.m., he asked me to let him know when I got home. Naturally, I forgot and I fell asleep. He must have fallen asleep pretty quickly after my departure as well, but woke up around 1 a.m. and realized I never did tell him I got home safely. I woke up around 1.30 that evening to two missed calls and a text asking if I was home. I responded as soon as I saw it, saying, I'm sorry, I fell asleep. And his response? Yes, sweetheart, I know. I'm just headed home from your place now. I see your vehicle is right as it, where it should be. <laughs> <laughs> that for him would have been at least an hour round trip. Even when he was sick, he was my protector, no matter what, because that's just who he was through and through. Our dad was not only the best father we could have hoped for, but a great man as well. To many of you here, he was a lot of things in regards to being a hockey player, but he was just our dad. He was kind and gentle, incredibly generous, and very funny. I know you'll hear some funny stories pretty soon here from his friends and teammates, because it truly was a huge part of who he was. But clever humor was also something very dear to him and something he sincerely valued. When I was about 12 years old, he gave me a call from the road, and I remember the tone in his voice. He was very serious. He told me he wanted to have a very important conversation with me, so I needed to listen carefully. Now I'm thinking I must have been in trouble for something, because this is very unlike him. And he said, Hannah, you are getting older. And if there is one thing I'm gonna pass on to you, it's a sense of humor. You must grow up to be a funny woman. As this conversation progressed, he went into great detail about the importance of wit, what can make an appropriate joke, the difference between being funny and being silly, and above all else, timing. He even went as far as to send me some stand-up comedy skits to study, like early Ellen DeGeneres and Jerry Seinfeld. And at the end of this conversation, he said, sweetheart, we don't know for sure that you're gonna grow up to be as beautiful as your father but you will have a good sense of humor about it. 
In the last year of his career with the Oilers, as many of you know, he was appointed as an ambassador. It was perfect for him. And after his first event, he gave me a call and I asked, well, Dad, how did it go? And he said, sweetheart, I brought the house down. And since then, every time he had an appearance, this term became a running inside joke of ours. And as I'm standing here today and I'm seeing the magnitude of love and support that has come out in honor of him, you have all given me the great pleasure of being able to say one last time, Dad, you brought the house down. Thank you very much, Hannah. Your dad would be proud, especially your sense of humor. We now invite uh, Glenn Sather to pay a tribute. Many times I've been asked to speak about the great individuals who came together in the early days of this team and achieved glory for themselves in this city. I've often commented that I had the pleasure of coaching and managing them as players, but I also had the great experience of coaching them when they came here as young men and then became fine people. There's no greater family feeling than to set out on a journey with a spirited, committed, extremely talented, and passionate group than the men who sat in the Oilers dressing room in those days, including Dave Semenko. There's a presence about Dave that said, I've got you, all of you. And he could do that simply by looking at you or anybody else for that matter. It's true we were a family and the path we charted together remains a vivid collection of brilliant memories that will last all of us all of our days. I cannot really describe the feeling I had upon hearing the news of Dave passing. Players will not tell you he was a brother, a big brother, the guy who distilled the spirit that we stood for in all situations, always keenly measuring the moment and striking with humor. With great insight, he remained that way always, as a player, as a scout, an executive, and a friend to all of us. I wasn't going to do this, but I'll tell you a brief story about him. I took uh, Dave to Banff to go skiing, and he'd, he'd never skied. Big, strong, talented guy, so we went to Mount Norquay. And I skied the three bunny hills with him to start with. And then we went up for the fourth time, and there was a steeper hill. It was longer, and it was icy. I said, I don't think we're going to ski this hill. I don't think you're ready for it. By the time I said that, he was gone. I couldn't catch him. And then he fell, and uh, he was going down head first, and he couldn't get his skis over to slow himself down. So he finally did it, took him into the trees. He hit the tree head first and knocked out the two bottom teeth. So by the time I got there, I thought, God, maybe the guy's dead. But when I got there, one tooth was laying in the snow. The other one was kind of hanging out. And there was blood all over his face. And we called, the, we called the ski patrol. 
ski patrol came was a real nice looking girl. He turned to her with his humor and said, how do you like me now? <laughs> you know, typical Dave. For me, I was seen as a father figure and mentor, and then I lost a son. Today, it's not about statistics, goals, assists, and so on. It's about the measure of a man, and Dave Semenko measured up. He leaves us with a simple thought that might be Dave Semenko. He was an oiler, he was talented, he was generous, he was kind, he was humble, and it took him a long way. Thank you. Nice job as usual, Glenn. We now have somebody called uh, Wayne Gretzky pay a tribute. Thank you, Father Mike. And uh, when Father Mike is here, everything is good. Uh, I had a good week to think about exactly what I was going to say, and I thought, you know, maybe I could tell some of the uh, stories that sort of transpired over the years that uh, I was lucky enough to be part of. Uh, starting in 1979, a lot of people don't know this, but one of the first trades the Edmonton Oilers ever made was we traded for Dave Semenko. Uh, we lost him in the expansion draft. Lou Niney and uh, Glenn made a deal, and he's traded back to the Oilers. He was always proud to tell everyone <laughs> Yeah, Gretz and I were protected when we went into the NHL. Um, so as kids go, Glenn built this team with a bunch of kids, some older players like Dave Dryden, Colin Campbell, uh, Lee Fogelin, Bill Fled, Ace Bailey. We thought we were going to win the Stanley Cup. We started one in six. The team was spiraling, and David was called in the office. And when you get called into Glenn's office, that's not a good sign. David came out and he said, I'm going to be going down to Wichita for two weeks. And I thought, oh my gosh. So two weeks go by, he comes back and he used to sit beside me in the stall, myself, Dave Lumley, Dave Semenko, Dave Hunter. And I said, Semenko, how was it down there? He said, oh, it was unreal. He said, I played the power play. I played penalty killing, regular shift, four on four, three on three. I was like, wow. It must have been a lot of fun. I said, how's your team? He goes, we're 0-6. <laughs> so I said, well, what else transpired down there? And he said, you know, when I got there, they said, what number do you want to wear? He said, well, 27. They said, that's taken. So I'll take my junior number, it was 17. They said, well, that's taken. He goes, is 99 available? <laughs> so he wore number 99 in Wichita, 0-6. The year goes on, Ronnie Lowe had been injured. He was gonna be sent down to the minors for a week of conditioning. And it was upon him going to Glenn's office to get all his instructions to go down to Wichita, Samank says, Ronnie, ask him if I can go down with you for a week. So Ronnie comes out, Slad said, yeah, I'm sick of him, take him for a week. <laughs> so he spent a week down there. But as the time went on, uh, they were always looking for this elusive left winger to play with Wayne Gretzky and Yuri Curry. And Semenk, 
used to sit there and kind of giggle about it. And I think one of the uh, years that we won our first Stanley Cup, we went into New York on a road trip, and he got three goals on the island. He got three goals the next night against the New York Rangers. We went on to win the Stanley Cup. And the following October, September training camp, same old story. We got to find a left winger to play with Wayne Gretzky and Yuri Curry. And he was so proud of how well he had played in our first Stanley Cup because he didn't miss a shift. He beat Billy Smith and scored on him before I did in the finals and he never let me live that down. Um, so as he's sitting there, they said, Samank, are you worried about somebody taking your position and playing left wing with Gretz and Curry? And he just looked up at them and he said, you know, fellas, and it was Dick Chubay, Jim Matheson, Rod Phillips, and Terry Jones. And he said, you know, fellas, sooner or later, Glenn will come to his senses. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, you know, I've done everything in my life in hockey. He said, I had four wishes. Three of them came true. And they were like, what are they? And he goes, I want to be NHL Player of the Week, and I got that. He said, I want to be on the cover of Hockey News. And he said, I got that. And he said, I want to lift the Stanley Cup. And we lifted the Stanley Cup, I got that. And the four of them kind of leaning in towards him as he's sipping on his water, nice. And they said, what is the fourth one? He said, well, I never got the fourth one. And they said, what was it? He said, I wanted Slats to walk in the locker room after a big win and say, Gretz, Mess, Cough, Semenk, take tomorrow off. <laughs> he said, I never got that one. So as time goes on, we won a couple Stanley Cups. We played in Winnipeg one night, and we always seemed to win in Winnipeg. We'd practice the next morning, practice like 10 o'clock, and we'd drive to the Winnipeg airport, we'd get in, fly, fly back to Edmonton. And after practice, Glenn called myself, Kevin, and Mark into his office in Winnipeg and said, take some ink in the first class lounge, I've traded him. So we're, we were all kind of shocked. He said, but don't say anything, I'll tell him when it's the right time. So as we're getting off the bus at the Winnipeg airport, in those days when we flew commercial, periodically we could go in the first class lounge. I said, Samantha, come on, let's go in the first class lounge, have a little lunch, you and I, Mark, Kevin. And he looked at me and he put his arm around me and he said, okay, where did I get traded to? <laughs> so I said, I don't know, you gotta talk to Slats. So as we're flying to Edmonton, Dick Tuby and Jim Matheson again said to him, well, what do you think about being traded? And he said, well, the city's not gonna riot like they did with Rocket Richard in the 50s. He got traded to Hartford, came back for his first game. As we were playing the game, typical Oilers, we were up five nothing after halfway through the second period. There was black armbands all around the Coliseum with number 27 on them because people loved them so much. He got a breakaway on Grant Fear halfway through the second period. And you would think we were all playing on the Hartford Whalers. Our whole bench stood up. <laughs> and when he missed, our whole bench kind of threw our arms and all were like, oh my gosh, Fierzy, how could you do that? <laughs> so we got back to the locker room. We're all like, Grant, how could you not let him score? And he goes, honestly, I opened my legs and he hit me in the pad. <laughs> <laughs> But as time went on, you know, things changed uh, for the, everyone. And he was so excited about his new role as an ambassador with the Edmonton Oilers. He would take me, I think he was more excited of the fact that during the games, before the games, 
him and I would have dinner before every playoff game. And the last thing I said to him was, see a game one against Nashville. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. But we would walk around, and he used to get a kick out of the fact we go, he'd say, Wayne, will you come to this corporate box? Will you come to this suite? Will you meet these people? Inevitably, they'd always say, uh, David, uh, can we get a picture with you? And Wayne, you can get in it too. <laughs> he always thought that was funny, but he meant more to our career than anyone. He was such a positive influence on our entire team, not only on the ice, but off the ice. I always tell people he's like Santa Claus. Parents couldn't wait to meet him. Parents couldn't wait to get a picture taken with him. And kids were scared to death. <laughs> but we'll miss him. I can see them now sitting up in heaven, and I know there's a game of hockey up there. Toe Blake's coaching. He's sitting there on the bench, and who's ever playing left wing was John Bellavoe and Gordie Howe. And the media, Milt Dunnell and Frank Orr, the great writers of the past, are looking at him saying, Dave, do you ever think you'll get on that line? And he's saying, the good Lord one day will come to his senses. <laughs> Thank you very much, Wayne. A lot of great memories. We now hear from the Edmonton Metropolitan Course. listening to the celebration of life for number 27, Dave Samanko, being broadcast live from Rogers Place right here on the 6.30 Ched Afternoon News.
Thank you very much. Beautiful music. I now invite uh, Kevin Lowe to pay a tribute. That's my first mistake. Al Hamilton. Sorry, Al. I've been mistaken for a few people. <laughs> I came here today just hoping to honor my friend Dave. And I looked at the program, and it was like my rookie year. I looked in the program and saw that I was playing. Um, David Semenko and I go back 39 years. I was there when he first came to the Oilers. And I wondered, what do we have here? He was big and gangly, and, and I'm looking at, what is he, a goal scorer or no? We weren't quite sure what he was, what, I wasn't sure because I didn't know much about him. But after the first game, I watched him in action, and I think all of us grew a foot and got about 20 pounds braver. He was an absolutely great teammate. And I was honored to spend some quality time with him over the last few weeks. Um, wasn't an easy time for David, but it was a time of reflection. And always with a bit of a sense of humor to it. He's, one day we're driving back from the cross and he says, uh, we, we're talking about contracts and when he was a scout and he said, you know, I, I'm sitting in on those meetings and they're talking about this guy is a pretty good deal at 2.4 million. And uh, Dave says, Hammy, I think, uh, I wonder what life would really have been like if Slats would have just added one zero to our contracts. Dave never lost his sense of hope. We went uh, th through all the news together. I think deep down he knew that this wasn't working out very well. But there was a sense of peace about him, and he had a great deal of dignity, talked about his fears. And right to the end, when they told him chemo wasn't going to work anymore, it was suggested by one of the family members that maybe they could try the marijuana treatment. And they said that, that'd be fine. So I walked into the room shortly after that and I 
and I was told that that, well, that would be the course we would take. And then he looked up at me and he said, Hambone, we're going to find out if Cheech was right. Davis Smenko was a person that I, I've never ever heard a person speak a bad word about. Everybody loved him for good reason. It's been mentioned, his kindness, his love. Uh, I sat there with him and we, we, when we were talking, said I wouldn't worry too much about what's going to happen after because I'm not an authority. I'm not, certainly not the last authority on this, but I'm sure there's a place, a special place in heaven for you, and thank you so much for sharing your time with me, and I am very grateful for that. Thank you very much, Al, sometimes called Kevin. Uh, we'll now hear from Paul Coffey. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Father Mike. I don't know if any everybody else is having the same problem I have, but I'm going to fire my dry cleaner because every time I put this suit on, it's getting smaller. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but. <clears throat> Rogers Place, the Edmonton Oilers, Dave Semenko. What a special place for a special guy. We are here today to mourn, honor, and celebrate the life of our friend. I'm honored, honored and privileged to be standing up here today, representing the players that played before him, and to tell my story about Dave. September 1980, Jasper, Alberta. Brian Watson blows the whistle. Speed up. Second whistle. Slow down. Third whistle. Speed up. All of a sudden his voice says, slow down, kid. We've got six weeks to get in shape. I turned my eyes to look around and laid my eyes on the biggest man I've ever seen. And I replied, yes, sir. <laughs> that was my... Uh, that was my introduction to Dave Semenko. <clears throat> Later that afternoon, we were sitting around the uh, at the Baskin Hotel, which is what all the guys did. And Semenko saw me sitting by myself, and he came over and says, "Why don't you buy the boys a round of beer?" Again, I said, "Yes, sir." <laughs> the beers came. The bill was fifty dollars, and he said to me, "Are you okay?" And I said, "Yep." but I got no money. <laughs> he smiles and says, yeah, but look at all the friends you got. <laughs> I had this feeling and I had this feeling that from this point on, I would be taken care of. Little did I know the impact he would have on my career and all our careers and how he would define those great Euler teams. Playing in Winnipeg was special to Dave. It was his hometown. Those games meant a lot. A chance to shine in front of his friends, his mom and dad, his brothers, Brian, Mark, and Brad. And every single game he said the same thing, boys, feed me. 
I'm feeling good. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think Wayne probably and Mark tried to feed him umpteen different times. I don't know how it went, but, uh, you know, he really enjoyed playing there. And I, I know this year when we got the call from the Jets to, to bring the Oilers team back to play the outdoor game, that it was, uh, it was a proud, proud moment for him. I think that, uh, you know, other than him, and I know Mark got a little testy too when we were down 4 or 5 1, but uh, Dave was the same thing. You know, he said, we're not, we never lost to this team before, we're not losing to them again. But, uh, you know, he was, he was proud to be from Winnipeg and uh, proud of his family. And he'd be so happy everybody's here today. Um, the kids, uh, there, there's 25 or 30 people here, you guys got a treat yesterday doing what the Oilers do best, which is everything is first class, getting a chance to see the dressing room with Connor McDavid and, you know, to Jason, Kelly, and Hannah, your dad loved you. Very much, you know that. Edmonton was Dave's home. He came here in 1977, excuse me, and never looked back. This is where his heart was. He loved the Oilers, he loved the city. Edmonton was his home. It's often talked about the great players, the all-time great players that played for those teams in the 80s. But those all-time great players wouldn't have been great without an all-time great team. Without the greatest team of all time, none of us guys would have been able to go out and do what we do best. Semenk and his cast of characters, whether it be McClellan, Hunter, McSorlin, Donnie Jackson, Fogie, Lummer, all those guys were huge, huge parts of those championship teams. And Semenk knew that. They made the game fun, they made our jobs easier, and they made our team whole. <clears throat> For the guys that played on those teams, they know that, and I often get asked what I missed most about that team, and it was unequivocally the 15 minutes before the game. I've never seen a team bond, and, and, and that's what made that team, uh, that group special. The bigger the game, the looser the dressing room became. And most of the chatter usually evolved around Semenk. Hannah, you were bang on. His, where are you, honey? His sense of humor was unreal. And he did bring the crowd to the feet more than once. Absolutely. He had the uncanny ability to be involved in every conversation, every joke, every prank, and never cross the line. As Hammy alluded to earlier, he had no enemies. If the room got tense or heated, he would deliver one of his patent one-liners, lighten things up, and end it with his beautiful laugh. Smank was class and was respected by all. His stall in those dressing room days was self-acclaimed and self-titled The Shrine by him. It was a place where he could, is a place where you could sit but not stay. And if he saw you there, with a quick snap of his fingers, he'd say, out of the shrine. It was his perch, his comfort place, where he could deliver his wit and watch over all of us. And that he did. Dave was the consummate teammate to all. <clears throat> Sammy was our MVP on more nights than enough. He made it safe to go out there and play. He made it safe to waltz into any, any, any rink we wanted to, whether it be Philadelphia, Boston, Calgary, or Chicago in those days. I know myself, I skated a little bit quicker when I got into those rinks, 
but always felt safe when he was around. I asked him once early in his career, I was in the washroom putting wet water on my face and I saw him dipping his fingers into the Vaseline and putting them on his eyes and on his eyes and on his cheek and I, I thought it was for the, the dry skin in Edmonton so I, I kind of put it in there and went like this and he said, easy kid, I'll take care of the fight and you just take care of the scoring. And that's, uh, that, 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 that's, that's what he was all about and he made us all bigger and stronger and, and, and taller than we were. You know, for those that know him and watched him, he never went looking for it. He played the game with honor. But if anyone took liberties on anybody on our team, it didn't matter who you were, he was quick to step up and settle things. There was nobody better. But make no mistake, Cement could play. He was a goal scorer, a point getter in Brandon, came to Edmonton, played a couple years in Oaha, and uh, as Wayne alluded to earlier, got player of, the, player of the week and goals in New York and big goals in the playoffs. And, you know, he could play it either way. <clears throat> you know, and to this day, his humor and wit is unmatched. You know, he longed to hear Slats call out, Graciari, Semenk, you're up. You know, Wayne alluded to earlier about that day off, which I think Wayne was looking at my notes, but, you know, that's what Semenk was all about. And, you know, I know that uh, I know that when he when he started a game, when Slats would come in and and uh, read his starting lineup, and you know he'd say, "Gretz, Yari, Smink, you're up, Kevin and Foggy." Smink would kind of smirk and say, "Hmm, I guess he's slumping again. I got to get him going," which he always did. <laughs> there are team guys, and there were teammates. And Smake was a teammate to all. Didn't play any favorites. It didn't matter if you were in need. He was there for you. I came into town last year for a game and called Smake. He says, yeah, come on down. I'll meet you in the lobby. and We can hang out and watch a period or two. <clears throat> I realized, first of all, you can't get around this palace without about 10 laminates hanging around you. And he knew exactly that. And he says, uh, he says well, let's go. I said, okay, no, he goes after you. Knowing damn well that I was going to get kicked out, I wouldn't be able to get in anywhere. Or get refused. And he stood around laughing, and he says, follow me, just outside here, which I did. And it was like the parting of the Red Sea. In we walk, no lamets. Smink looks at me and laughs and says, and you thought only Gretz could walk around this arena. <laughs> we, uh, we go upstairs. I watch him walk, tall and proud, work the crowd to perfection. And I said to Smake, I didn't know what he was doing. I said, what are you doing? What's your, what's your role now? He beams and says, I'm the ambassador. I said, of course you are. He smiles that big smile and laughs. And he says, who else? And I said, nobody, buddy. You're perfect for the position. He was so, so happy and so proud to still be involved with the Oilers and representing them. As tough as Semenk was, in the end, it wasn't his fight to win. As we sit here today, we should all smile knowing we knew the hockey player. Knowing we knew the hockey player, we knew the man. And we were all better for that.
Smink knew he was loved by all, and we can all take comfort in that. Rest in peace, my friend.